you drive. Um, if you're just joining us for this series that we're in, um, let me quickly just catch you up to speed on what it is that we're talking about and where it is that we're going. We're, ta- we're on, on a series right now called Taboo, and we're basically just looking at all these different topics that you normally wouldn't hear talked about on a Sunday morning. And the reason that we don't talk about them, um, if you've been a part of this series, um, and this morning you're going to find out all over again, the reason we don't talk about them is because, uh, one, they, they're, they might be too controversial, there's just too many different sides, too many different angles, and it just stirs up too much controversy if we talk about them, so it's going to just be easier to not talk about them. Another reason we don't talk about them is because they're uncomfortable. You know, there's some things that we, we like to talk about in church that just are comfortable, they're exciting messages to hear, you know, talking about Jesus is alive, and, I mean, th- that's just stuff that you want to hear, it's comfortable, it's, 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 it's exciting, but there's other topics that just, they're just, just not comfortable to talk about, and so we, we tend to just push those aside as well, and rather than discuss them, we just avoid them, even though the topic could be one that is dominating, dominating the news headlines, dominating social media, dominating the chatter that takes place in coffee shops, we still tend to push them aside. And this morning's topic has been planned out for the last few months, um, but in light of everything that's been happening, not only in our nation, but across the world in the last couple weeks, it's more important than ever that we preach on this topic. We're going to dive into what God's Word has to say about racism today. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm going to get ready to preach on a a topic that's challenging I like to not just go it alone. I like to hear what other guys are, are preaching on a topic. I like to, I got a group that I meet with on Monday mornings where we're just discussing some of the different things that we're preaching, getting different uh, advice and, and ideas and scripture and all that kind of stuff. But as I was looking around the internet this last week for just to hear what different people, how they were preaching on this topic, there wasn't much help because not a lot of people are actually talking about this, this topic. Um, it certainly falls in the, into the category of being taboo. But nevertheless, it's, it's, it is an important topic to be discussing, even here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, a lot of people think that, that racism and discrimination really aren't issues in the Pacific Northwest. And I find whenever you, you hear someone say that, Pacific, that race, racism and discrimination isn't an issue in the Pacific Northwest, whenever someone says that, they usually have the same skin color that I've got. When you start talking to people that don't have um, my skin color and you ask them a question like, hey, do you ever, do you see racism? Do you ever, is that, does that, is that prevalent here? Does it happen here? Usually the answer goes something along the lines of like eyebrows raised and are you kidding me? Like it's, it, it is definitely an issue. We face it all the time. And most of the time when I ask whether it's, um, on friends that are Native American or Hispanic or Afri- African American, the response is, yes, Rich, this is, this, is an, this is an issue here. In fact, Rich, you've got no idea how much of an issue that it is. And so this morning, we're not going to, I got to tell you, it would be so much easier just to dodge this topic. Um, it's not an easy topic to discuss, but we're not going to avoid it as, as a church. We're going to dive right into it. We're, we're not going to dance around this issue. Instead, Here's what we're going to do over the next 30 minutes is we're going to take some awkward, uncomfortable steps um, forward in pushing through racism. 
And um, as I've been preparing for this, this, this message this morning, I can really understand why a lot of guys just don't want to preach on this. It's because there's, it's a tough topic. And I'll just tell you right up front this morning, right out of the shoot, some of the fears that I have going into it this morning. First fear that I have is that, that um, um, the, the non-white listeners this morning will take offense to something that I say because I'll say it in the wrong way. It'll come across wrong. Um, I speak from a white Anglo vantage point and don't understand what it's like to be discriminated against because of the color of my skin. Another fear that I have is that white listeners will feel like I'm getting on their case. Um, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about some of the unhelpful response that, that white America tends to have to racism. And um, uh, there's, there's a lot of people who get really upset when you start talking about racism and privilege and, and those, those sorts of things. Another fear is that I'll come across as someone who's got this all figured out when I don't. I have made plenty of mistakes in my life when it comes to discrimination. Um, thankfully, um, most of them are in the past. I remember very clearly as a second grader getting a knuckle sandwich right to the nose because I called someone a name I should have never have called them. Um, I, have, um, I have judged someone based largely out of ignorance. Um, as an adult, I've laughed at jokes that I, I shouldn't have laughed at. Um, but we're gonna wade into this topic this morning Despite the awkwardness, uh, despite how there's some fear attached to it, we're going to wade into it. Racial tension in our nation has reached a boiling point. You would have to have your head in the sand to, to not see that. It is at a boiling point. And whenever you've got water that's about to boil, one of the ways to bring water in a pot to a boil, one of the quickest ways to bring it to a boil is to put a lid on it. You put a lid on it, next thing you know, it's boiling over. And so... Putting a lid on this conversation is, is not helpful. Uh, furthermore, it makes no sense for the church to put a, li a lid on the conversation because the church alone has the answer to racism and discrimination. The, the only answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that Jesus came was to destroy the walls of racism, to destroy the walls of discrimination. Jesus, when he left heaven to come to earth, he stepped down into a society that was just ripped apart by racism. Jews did not like, they, that's probably too soft of a word, they hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Um, the Romans thought that the Jews were just were a subhuman people, and as a result, the Jews hated the Romans. But Jesus, he just steps right down into earth, he steps right down into the messiness of humanity, and he just starts crossing over racial lines left and right. He's talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. Then he goes to her village for two days to preach the gospel. We read about how a Roman centurion had a servant who was sick. And Jesus, rather than saying, no, I'm not going to go there, he, he heals the Roman centurion's servant and even commends this, this Roman for his faith. Jesus just crossed lines um, left and right. And then he leaves his disciples with this great commission to go and make disciples not just of those around them in their, 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 their circle of influence. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. He came to destroy the walls of, of racism and discrimination with the good news about a God who loves all men and women equally, regardless of their skin color or ethnicity. Scripture says this, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children 
of God through faith. What a great picture of this great big family. All children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male, or female, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the only answer to racism, discrimination, and injustice that goes along with it. And this morning, I just got to tell you, it's not about being politically correct. It's about being a church that promotes healing, a church that promotes reconciliation, in a country that still, after hundreds and hundreds of years of racism, still to this day is suffering deep tension and deep divide over racism. It's about a, being a church that reflects the, the church that Jesus envisioned when he prayed that we would be one even as him and the Father are one, that we would have the same kind of unity that, that there, there is between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we would um, reflect that unity while at the same time appreciating that there's differences. It's about being a church that despite our differences and diversity can be like that church in, in Revelation chapter 7 where it describes the church, um, a, a church with every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. And then with one voice declaring in worship, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what this is about this morning. And I really believe that we can do better as a nation, that we can do better as a church. And uh, when it comes to pushing through discrimination, when it comes to pushing through boundaries, and, and it starts by refusing to stay silent on this topic. It starts by going, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to discuss it. Yes, it's awkward. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But we're going to talk about it. And this morning, we're not going to look at a, a whole passage of Scripture. Instead, we're going to spend most of our time looking at and unpacking one single verse. Um, it's a verse uh, that Jewish rabbis and Bible scholars over the years have described as the one verse that puts the whole entire Old Testament portion of the Bible, it just it describes it all in a nutshell. Uh, it's found in a little book of the Bible called Micah. God has a message to speak to the people of Israel, and so like he, he did a lot in the Old Testament days, he raises up a prophet whom he's going to speak that message through. And so little context here to, to this verse, um, it's spoken at a time in Israel's hi history when there's a lot of injustice happening um, through the nation. The wealthy and the powerful were oppressing the poor, and rather than use their, their power and position to ease the suffering of the poor, they were using their power and position to get rich off the backs of the poor. And what made it even worse was that this just wasn't a, a problem with the secular people. This is something that was happening even among the religious community. Rather than putting a stop to it, rather than speak out against injustices, they chose just to do nothing. They just continued to go on with their religious practices all the while ignoring the plight of the oppressed. And God, who is this God of justice, a God who the Bible describes in Psalm 29 as having justice and righteousness as the foundations of his throne, God sees this happening in Israel, and, and he's, he's got a message. It's a simple message, a straightforward message. He says, um, through, through Micah, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. He doesn't give them a religious checklist to check off. He doesn't come along and say, I require that you go to church every week. I require that you read your Bible every day. I require that you, you pray three times a day. I require that you give your tithes and your offering. He doesn't say, that's what I require of you. You think that he would, but he doesn't. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, the message that, that God wanted them to understand, not only in this passage, but in other passages of Scripture, was that their religion didn't matter to him if it didn't affect the way they responded to social injustices of their day. In the book of Isaiah chapter 1, God puts it even more clearly when he basically says, you have to read the whole chapter to catch what's going on, but he basically comes along, he says, stop all the religious activities, stop the, the prayers, the worship, all that stuff, it, it doesn't matter. I don't want any more of it until you first learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Seek after justice. And, and where you see people, whether they be the fatherless, whether they be the poor, whether they be the widow, whether they be the African-American, the Native American, wherever you see people being treated unjustly, God's saying, seek justice on their behalf. Take up their cause, plead their case, stop ignoring it, stop minimizing it, stop saying it doesn't exist, stop saying it's time to move on already, seek justice. God is very big on justice. And so he comes along to Israel, and he comes along to you, and he comes along to me this morning, and he says this, hey, I've told you what's good. Here's what's good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've told you what's good. Now listen to what God requires of you. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. And here's the big point that I want to make through this, this entire morning's message. It's this. If you don't walk in humility and love mercy, you will not act justly regardless of the color of your skin. If you don't walk in humility and love mercy, you will not act justly regardless of the color of your skin. But let me tell you what I see happening in our nation right now. Rather than humbly admit that, that my viewpoint might be wrong, we insist that we've got it right. Rather than take the, the, the humble posture of trying to understand why there might be some anger and resentment, we just shut our ears and insist that the other side just needs to get over it. Rather than mercifully coming alongside those who are in mourning and, and are, are suffering, we instead use tragedy not to show love and mercy, but to make a point, to put an exclamation point on our opinions. But opinions that we, we know they're right, though, because we saw someone say something about it on CNN or Fox, and so it's got to be right, right? Because if it's on there, it's, it's true. And if, we, if you want to act justly, you must first love mercy and walk in humility. You have to do those first. Racism at its core is rooted in pride. It's this idea that somehow my race is better than yours, and yours is somehow inferior to mine. It's that, that, that's where it starts. Now, most of us today, and most of us, I'm going to assume in this room, we, we get that that level of racism is wrong. We go, okay, yeah, I don't think that. That's, come on, we're past that. We're, we're all equal. But there's, this, there's still this lack of humility that, that, 
I see is still is adding fuel to the fire of racial tension that's, that's going on. It's this idea that my way of thinking is right and your way of thinking is wrong. It's this idea that you need to stop feeling the way that you're feeling and, and because your feeling just has no validity to it at all. If you're going to act justly, you must first walk in humility. And here's why. It's because we'll never see racial tension dissolve until we first have a little empathy. We got to have empathy. We, ha- we have to, to try and understand why people feel the way they do when it comes to racial injustice and discrimination. But if we're just going, no, I'm right all the time, you're wrong, I'm right, you'll never have empathy. Never. And, and, and here's the deal. The only way you'll ever have empathy is if you first have presence. You got to first have presence. You need to hear and feel the pain of those who are different than you. You need to be around them, be friends with people different than you. Love them, open up your heart to them, care, care about them, be friends. You need to have presence. And presence, by the way, is, is not gained through social media. <laughs> surprise, surprise. You don't get presence through Facebook. Presence happens when you're in close proximity to people of different ethnicity than you. It happens when you open up your heart to them and they do the same to you. But here's the deal with presence. We're going to step back a little bit. If you, if you think that, that on the way I'm feeling about being discriminated against is wrong and justified, that you're always right, I'm never going to give you access. I'm never going to give you presence. You're only going to be granted a certain level of access into my life. You'll never be granted the level of proximity, the level of access that, that's going to really start to begin to break down the walls of, of, of racial discrimination and division, which brings us back to why humility is so important in achieving true racial understanding, harmony, and reconciliation. It's because humility leads to presence. Presence then leads to empathy. Empathy will then lead to acting justly. But if you don't have humility and love mercy to begin with, all that just caves, caves, caves in. It falls apart. There's several ways I want to give you this morning that, that will help you empathize a little better, that will help you gain understanding. Um, first thing is this. Gain an understanding of our nation's history of racial and racial oppression. You'll never be able to fully empathize with someone's pain until you first understand some of the history that co- has caused that pain to begin with. So if you've been around this church for any length of time, you know that I'm not a huge fan of cats. I, and I know your cat is awesome. I know your cat's probably the fuzziest, furry, most cuddly little creature there, there ever was. But I personally am not a big fan of cats. I have a lot of apprehension about cats. Now, you can just stand out, sit out there and go, Rich, you've got some problems, dude. Like, cats, they're so cute. How could you possibly have a thing against cats? But then, you, then I, I can start to give you some of the backstory of, of that, and I'll start to explain to you how I've had cats pee all over my furniture. I've spent hours cleaning cat pee off of couches and carpet and all that kind of stuff. I've had cats pee on me personally. That's a true story. Laying in bed, cat peed on me in the middle of the night. And then you begin to understand a little bit when you got some of the story why Rich feels the way that he does about cats. Gain an understanding of the history 
Some quick facts for you this morning. Did you know that in 1860, there were 4 million enslaved people in America? That's a staggering number that I can't even begin to wrap my mind around. Our government, which was built on a constitution designed to protect freedoms, designed to protect rights, ripped away those rights by allowing people to be enslaved in oppressed and brutal ways. And then there's the, all, all the Jim Crow laws. And, and, and I trust that you've, this is not new to you this morning, but the Jim Crow laws that, that made it illegal for African Americans to sit on the same bus as, as white people, made it illegal for, for them to go to the same swimming pools. The, the laws that made it so that whenever they attended certain churches, they couldn't sit on the main floor. They had to sit up in the balcony. And any who dared disobeyed were, were, were punished by the systems and structures that were meant to protect them. And perhaps more of America would empathize with how our African-American brothers and sisters are feeling right now if we understood that throughout history, they have been repeatedly betrayed by the systems and structures meant to protect them. I listened to one person this last week describe how all of this historical oppression has created this kind of PTSD that's haunted African Americans to this day. And the same could be said of our, of our Native American brothers and sisters. You know, your, your high school history class may or may, may not have taught you about the Trail of Tears. don't know how many of you have heard about the Trail of Tears, but back in, in the 19th century, the Cherokee Nation, among many other um, Native American tribes, was forced to leave their traditional homelands, and, to tra- and, and the young and the elderly were forced to travel 900 miles on foot through one of the most severe winters in history to, to this new place where they were, they were told that they had to live. And the reason it's called the Trail of Tears is because 4,000 of them died making that journey. And you want to know why President Andrew Jackson signed off on the decision to have them removed? He signed off on that decision because white settlers wanted to come in and grow cotton and make some money on the the traditional homelands of the Cherokee people. And this gives you a little perspective as to why coastal Salish Native Americans get their backs up when large corporations want to come in and squeeze them out of their traditional way of living. It gives you this perspective on what's going on. And I don't tell you any of this stuff this morning to make you feel guilty. That's not what this is about this morning. It's not about making you feel guilty. It's about helping you gain a little bit of understanding. When you know these things, you begin to empathize a little bit more. You also begin to realize pretty quick that this, this whole this new term that, that's being thrown around, white privilege, you also start to understand really quickly this is not a myth. It's actually a reality. I will never have to sit down with any of my five kids and explain to them the ethnic uh, tension in history of, around why my, my particular ethnicity is, is full of so much anger. I'll never have to sit down with them and explain that, hey, you're, you don't know this, but your grandpa actually was not allowed to go on the same buses as white people. Your, your, your great-grandparents, you don't know this, but at one time, they were enslaved. I, I'll never have to do that with my kids. I'll never have to tell them about how their parents and grandparents were forced to go into boarding schools where they were stripped of their, their, their heritage and their culture 
because white culture viewed that as being uncivilized and savage. I'll never have to do that with my kids. I'll never have to coach my son on how to keep his hands out of his pockets and walk him through a convenience store just so that he won't arouse suspicion. I won't have to do that. Something else that will help you empathize is when you mourn alongside those who are feeling the loss of life, freedom, and justice. When you mourn alongside of them. One of the things that, that I do as a pastor, I've done more in the last few weeks than I have in the last six years, is, is I, I get the opportunity to come along families who are in the darkest hour who are mourning the loss of a loved one. And the worst thing that I could do is to come into that room and start explaining why they shouldn't be feeling that way. You know, to, to, to walk in and say, hey, um, here's a list of, 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 of reasons why you don't really need to be mourning right now. The, the, the most helpful thing that I can do in that situation, the most merciful thing that I can do, the most compassionate thing I can do is to just simply walk in the room and mourn alongside of them. In this last week, um, I've listened to many say that the most helpful thing that we can do is mourn, is mourn to share in, in the suffering. The Apostle Paul, he understood the power of this when he wrote, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And there's a sense of shared community and a sense of hope that comes when you mourn alongside of those who are grieving. A week and a half ago, seven men lost their lives. Seven men lost their lives. Wives were, were made widows in the course of one day. Boys and girls lost their dad, their grandpa, a 15-year-old teenage boy had, had to watch on TV as his dad was shot. People lost life. These are, these are real people. At what point did, be, we, did we become so desensitized as a nation that these are just news stories rather than lives that have forever been impacted, forever been changed? And, and you know where our, our inability to mourn comes from? It comes from a lack of proximity. It comes from a lack of presence. The only people who don't mourn with Native Americans or the injustices, injustices that they continue to face to this day are people who are not good friends with Native Americans. If you want empathy, you need to first have presence. You need to be present. And this goes on all sides of the spectrum. You've got to be present. Another way that you can develop empathy is to feel with someone rather than tell them why they shouldn't feel that way. So closely related to the first or the second point, it's feeling with someone rather than telling them why they shouldn't feel that way. You know, the next time your spouse is upset, they're hurt, um, they're feeling just, they're just feeling hurt. The next time that happens, try doing this. Try going into the to, to that, em, that emotion, that, that way that your spouse is feeling and, and rattling off a bun, bunch of facts as to why they shouldn't be feeling that way. Guys, try that on your, your wives sometimes and ju just see how well that goes over. Actually, don't because it's not going to go over very well. It's not. And yet, one thing that I see happening is Anglo-America, um, when it comes to issues of racial discrimination, facing non-Anglo-Americans, we tell 
them how they should feel or shouldn't feel all the time. And I'm going to press this morning. I mean, we're already been pressing. We're going to keep pressing a little bit more. Um, let me give you a few examples this morning. Um, the, the Hispanic population, if you haven't noticed, in, in our nation is very upset over a lot of the political rhetoric and conversation that's happening around illegal immigration. And what's the typical response of Anglo-Americans? It's to come back and say, you shouldn't feel that way. You have no right to feel that way. Don't feel that way. Rather than come alongside, because we've got presence, we've got proximity, we've got friendship, we've got relationship, rather than coming alongside and saying, hey, help me understand what's going on here. Help me see your side of things and what's going on. Many African Americans are feeling marginalized, are feeling left out, feeling like their, their lives just don't matter as much as white lives matter. And what's the typical response of Anglo-America? It's to say, you have no right to feel that way. Stop feeling that way. Can you please just get over it? Can we just move on? Can we just be friends? Rather than coming alongside and saying, hey, help me understand What's going on? I mean, the classic case of this is the whole uh, hashtag all lives matter response to the hashtag black lives matter. I don't know if you realize it, but when you say hashtag all lives matter, what you are doing is you are completely invalidating the feelings of a whole group of people, and you're saying it doesn't matter. One guy put it like this. He said, it's like, it's like a guy named Bob who is black is sitting at the dinner table Everyone else gets a plate of food except Bob. Subsequently, Bob says Bob deserves food. Everyone at the table responds with, everyone deserves food. And they continue eating. Although everyone deserves food is a true statement, there's nothing to actually rectify the fact that Bob has no food. Or the next time that you start explaining to somebody about Christmas and how it's important to say Christmas uh, 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 instead of happy holidays, Merry Christmas, someone responds with, well, all holidays matter. What's happening is you're completely invalidating the feelings that a person is having. You're saying your feelings don't matter at all. What you're experiencing doesn't matter. Rather than telling someone what, why they shouldn't feel the way they're feeling, come alongside of them and try to feel. You'll, you'll never fully feel, but try to feel with them why it is they're feeling the way they're feeling. One of the most incredible verses in the Bible is also the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus He's at the graveside of his friend Lazarus, and everyone is mourning. Everyone's experiencing the pain of this loss, and everyone's, there's, there's this grieving. And, and Jesus doesn't come in. He doesn't lecture. He doesn't tell them why they don't need to feel that way. He doesn't, he doesn't step in and say, hey, just so you know, guys, you don't need to be like this because I'm just, just hold on. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a second here. He doesn't do that. He doesn't dismiss their mourning and the way that they're feeling. Instead, the Bible says that that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, right there, two words, Jesus wept. He felt what they were feeling. He empathized with them. He was full of mercy, full of compassion. And the last way that you can begin to empathize, and this has been a theme that's been running throughout this whole message, is for you to build friendships with those who have a different skin color than you. Build friendships with those who have a different skin color than you. It is so easy. It's so easy. Regardless of your skin color, it is so easy to get stuck 
in your particular people group. To, to be in small group with only those that are in your, your, your ethnicity. To invite people over to your house that, that are your ethnicity. And maybe it's your, you've got no racist intentions whatsoever. You're, you're not, you, you, you love everybody. You get that. But it's just we tend to go that direction, don't we? And, and, and for whatever reason, it, it, it's just so much more difficult to, to, to step outside of, of, of those that we're comfortable being around. We let our differences stop us from, from building friendships and relationships with, with, with others. A pastor named Dave Stone, he said, said this about differences. He says, differences between people are not cause for division between people. They're not. You know, we're, we're different. Uh, but that doesn't mean there, there needs to be divisions. Um, yes, different ethnicities have different, there's, there's just differences. And, but the thing is to appreciate those differences and love those differences. And, and you know, I'm always going to dance like a white guy. That's just, there's just differences that, that we've got. But those differences don't have to be cause for division. In fact, when you see those differences, and you begin to love those differences. You know, I love the Hispanic community in this church, and the, I just love the way that there's just this appreciation for family, friendship, good food. Can anybody say chisoli with me this morning? No, we're not going back there. I love that. I love that. I love, I love my Native American friends. I love how they just, they just take their time. They, they, they love stories, and they love just unpacking things. They just, they don't have this, this, this rigid sense of time that, that, that I've got. They just love being together, soaking up the moment. I was at this, um, helping out at the Lummi uh, Kids Bible Camp here a week and a half ago, and, and the, the lady that started it all is this lady named Mary, Mary, uh, Mary Allen, and she has this, she, 98 years old, she's, she comes out one night and she just, she talks for a little bit, she sings a little song, and, uh, and she has this line. She says, I've lived my whole life for this moment. And it's this way of seeing things that my culture, my, my ethnicity doesn't get. We, we always see the moment down the road, but she's going, no, I've lived my whole life for this moment. In other words, you're here in this moment. Your entire life has brought you up to this moment right here, right now. It's a way of thinking that I just love. I just, I appreciate. And when you see your differences and, and, and you, you don't, those don't push you away, but you, you, you appreciate them, you enjoy them, you're able to build friendships, you're able to build community you're able to build empathy, you're able to build understanding, and that's how you begin to push through racial tension, racial discrimination, and that's, how, that's where you begin to get to healing, that's where you, where you begin to get to reconciliation, that's where you begin to be a church that reflects the church that Jesus saw that's one tribe, or many tribes, many people, many nations, but one family worshiping and lifting up the name of Jesus. So what are we going to do? That's the big question. What's, what, what, what's next? And I don't know how you feel, but when I look at, um, when I'm watching the news over the last couple weeks, it's been kind of depressing. It's, it, I mean, just this last week and, and what's happened in France, 
It, it's, it's depressing. And, it, it, and you look at that, and, and you, can, you can find yourself getting to a place of despair really quick because you're thinking in your head, okay, that's happening over there, and I want to do something about it, but it's way over there. I see what's happening down in Dallas, and I want to do something, but it's way over there. Or what's happening on the other side of the country, I want to do something, but it's, it's way over there. And so what happens is because you feel like you're powerless to do anything about it, pretty soon you find yourself settling into this place of despair and hopelessness and going, I just, I just can't, I can't do anything. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that's just simply not true. There is something that you can do. And I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. I don't, I don't know exactly what that, that means. Maybe this morning, this message, God has been speaking to you in a, a specific way. You know, maybe it starts after the service today. Maybe for you, it is, it, is, it is going and shaking hands with somebody who you normally wouldn't shake hands with, not because you don't like them, but you just don't because it just you're more comfortable with, with, with your group of people. Maybe, maybe for you, it's taking someone out for coffee. Maybe at work, you, you step into the, to work tomorrow, and, and, and rather than sit silently on the sideline as racist jokes are being made, you kind of, you dive in. You do what Scripture says, and, and you defend, you plead the cause, and you say something, you do something. Maybe for someone else, it, it, it's, it's buying coffee. I don't know what it is. On this last week, I've got a new hero. And I, his name is Tom Norman. Have you guys heard of Tom Norman? He's this. He's he's quickly becoming this this um, this this celebrity on social media. He's this white police officer um, serving a predominantly African com- American community. And uh, this last week weekend, in the middle of everything that was going on. Um, I stumbled across this guy. He, you go on, go on um, Facebook, the internet, and you see this guy just loving on people in his community. I mean, he's, he's constantly taking these little video clips of these kids. They're coming up to him, and he's like doing fist pounds, and he's, he's just loving on African-American kids. This white guy. And I was thinking in my mind, okay, this must have, I wonder if this, a lot of these videos took place like a month ago, two months ago, that he was, before all this stuff happened. And I looked at the timeline, and it was all happening right in the middle of all this racial tension that's been going on in our nation. He's like, I'm not going to go online. I'm not going to write blogs and articles and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's like, I'm just going to go out and love people. I'm just going to keep doing what I've, I've been doing. I'm not going to push, push away. I'm just going to keep loving people, even though I might be misunderstood, even though people might be upset at that. I'm just going to love. I'm just going to love. But what is it for you? What is God saying is a next step for you? What is it? I would encourage you this week to begin to pray, even today, begin to pray, God, what do you want me to do? How can I be your instrument? How how can I live in a way where I'm I'm, I'm walking in humility, I'm I'm loving mercy, and because of that, I'm, I'm, I'm acting justly. I'm bringing I'm bringing reconciliation. I'm bringing healing. I'm bringing, I'm, 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 I'm bringing healing where there's so much brokenness in our nation. Ask God what you can do, and I'm pretty sure he'll show you. Why don't we pray this morning? God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
um, for, for, for your word. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the way that you see us. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful, Jesus, for the diversity here in this church. And I, I pray, Father, that, that, Lord, you would just help us as a church to, re, to, to reflect even more the oneness that there is in, in, in the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, even though they have different personalities, there's this oneness there. There's a love that's there. I pray, Father, that we would be that church. And Lord, I also pray, Jesus, that you would help us as a church to, to just be instruments of healing, Lord, in, in a nation that right now is just, Lord, just reaching the boiling point maybe has even gone way over the boiling point when it comes to racial tension. God, I pray that you would work through each one of us to be instruments of healing, to be instruments of grace, to be instruments of understanding. Father, I pray that you would work through our lives to bring healing and wholeness. In your name, Jesus, I pray. And so, Father, I pray that, that each one of us, Lord, would just hear from your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to know what, what we need to change in our lives. God, if we've been living in a way that, 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 that intentionally discriminates, Father, I pray for conviction this morning. Lord, I pray for repentance. I pray that eyes would be open this morning and that, Father, we would begin to change and turn from our ways. God, I pray for any here that unintentionally discriminate. Lord, I don't know what that might look like, but Father, I pray that this morning, in that case, there would be repentance too, that, that Father, we would see how we unintentionally discriminate against others and that we would begin to change our ways. And Father, to do that, we need your help. We need your help. Lord, you have told us in your word what you require of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. And so, Father, I pray for your help in doing that. Lord, I also want to lift up our nation this morning. God, I, I pray that you would bring healing. God, this morning we, we ask, Jesus, that you would reach down your hand into our nation and bring, bring healing, bring wholeness. Lord, there's, there's a lot of fear right now. There, there's a lot of apprehension right now. Lord, there's a lot of apprehension um, not only in the... the uh, the African-American community, the Hispanic community. God, there's a lot of fear and apprehension. Lord, even, God, in our, our, our law enforcement community, how do we move forward in this environment that we're in right now? Jesus, we need your help. We need your help. And so, Father, we just would lift up our nation to you this morning and pray, dear Lord, that you would bring healing, that you would bring wholeness, and that, Jesus, you would work in a, in a powerful, powerful way. And God, may the church be a shining light of what it looks like to live together in love, what it looks like to live together in unity. May we be that shining light, I pray, in your good name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.